Welcome to the program. We've been told for years that one of the key goals of technology was to simplify our life. In fact, for many people, the opposite has happened. The combination of complexity, feature creep, and the ever-updating world of new technology has made the complexity of the process sometimes not worth the effort. Enter David Pogue. He spent 13 years writing about personal technology for the New York Times. He launched Yahoo Tech. He writes a monthly column for Scientific America and created the Missing Manual Computer Book Series. He has won two Emmys, two Webby Awards, and a Loeb Award for journalism. But most of all, he's the undisputed master of how to harness the best of technology to serve us and not the other way around. He does it in a way that is both useful and humorous and in a departure from a lot of tech advice it's not condescending. It is my pleasure to welcome David Pogue here to talk about his latest book, Pogue's Basics, Essential Tips and Shortcuts That No One Bothers to Tell You for Simplifying the Technology in Your Life. David Pogue, welcome back to the program. Why, thank you so much. It's great to have you here. Why is so much tech advice that we get from so many different sources a little bit condescending sometimes? Well, part of it is who's got the information to start with? It's engineers, right? It's engineers who live and breathe technology and the ways of technology and often are speaking a different psychological language from the ultimate consumers, many of us who are not full-time technologists. So that must be where it comes from. And also, to be sure, there's a certain smugness from knowing. In, in, in any industry, you know, you've, you've worked hard to learn what you know, so you know, you, you want to lord it over the know-nothings a little bit. The other part of it is that the learning curve for so much technology today has gotten so steep that, and, and so fast that even if you can climb that curve, by the time you're near the top, something new has come along. Yeah, that's true. It's, um, it's the way the whole tech industry is built. It's the way it's designed. It's the business model in that when you buy a phone or a piece of software or something, you know there's going to be a new version next year. That's, they want you to upgrade. And the way they get you to upgrade, they have only one tool, and that's adding features. So every year, they add on more, more, more features, and cumulatively, the whole thing becomes you know, completely unknowable. Nobody could possibly know every feature. I doubt... I doubt even the Apple or Google engineers do not know the ins and outs of every feature of their operating systems. It's interesting because the analogy and the model for this is the old auto, automobile that, you know, it used to be you'd buy a car, you'd keep it for a year, maybe two years, you'd trade the car in, it had a new design and new features, the old car would have a value at trade-in. It's interesting how that model of this old technology became the model for so, something so new. Yeah, it is. Uh, and now uh, we've, we've come full circle in that people were so tired of this two-year contract business that, that now Apple and the other companies are unashamedly saying, rent our phones. Don't buy the phone, rent it, and then you can keep renting the new one when it comes out next year and not have to worry about it. Well, I mean, to keep the analogy intact, it's like leasing cars suddenly became popular not just for businesses and those executives that needed a tax deduction, but leasing became something for the masses. That's exactly right. It is exactly like the leasing model. The fact that they do it so unabashedly, I think, and, and that it has worked, I think, has been a surprise in the technology business. Yeah, me too. I'm just amazed that people are willing to, you know, pay money and get nothing 
tangible in return, <laughs> except for the use of that item during the time. But, you know, the price is close to what you would have paid if you'd owned it, so go for it. And, of course, you always have the newest, coolest, best thing that, that, right. that you then complain about how to use. That's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's ultimately the, the goal. Besides the phones, which are sort of the most obvious because we're, we're so in touch with them all the time, what are the other areas in technology that, that you write about, that you look at, David, where the complexity has kind of gotten out of hand? I, I don't think there's an area where it hasn't. I mean, the web and email and text messaging and phone operating systems and tablets and laptops and battery management and car technology, um, there, there, isn't, there isn't an area where there aren't too many features anymore. You, I mean, Apple used to be the champion of keeping the feature count down um, in the name of simplicity and ease of use. And I think that, that went away with Steve Jobs. I think now they're, they're playing the same game as everyone else, which is a longer feature list is always better than a shorter one. You mentioned the automobile. The, the auto dashboard of today is getting completely out of hand. <laughs> I'll say. Um, yeah, I just helped out Yahoo Autos with their <laughs> annual Car of the Year awards, and I was supposed to be the judge for technology. And, you know, there are, there are two technologies being developed in parallel. There's the dashboard technology, as you say, which is just, I mean, the, oh, man, the BMW one, uh. I, I'm, I'm sorry, nobody, nobody. I, you find me a, a BMW owner who's mastered the intricacies of that dashboard system. There's a trackpad and a knob with the trackpad on the knob, and the knob turns, and the knob can be bumped left, right, up, or down. Um, multiple screens, it's just it is out of control. And then the other area of technology is the self-driving stuff, mm -hmm. which um, is, is really coming along and, and terrifies and excites a lot of people in equal measure. What about the television area? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, Samsung sells a lot of TVs, but man, is that interface complex. I mean, it's a long way from turning it on and choosing channel 3, 5, or 8. Where is all this going in your view? I mean, and you look at this every day, and, and you have a perspective on it that, that really is different, you know, up close and personal from the rest of us. This can't keep going at this rate, at least in terms of the complexity. Um, it will, though, because it appeals to us. You know, Microsoft once got tired of, of everyone complaining about the complexity of Microsoft Word, which had long since stopped being just a word processor. You know, it does database things and web things, and it's a dessert topping in a floor wax. Um, so they offered a stripped-down, clean new program called Microsoft Write, um, that was just a word processor, just the basics in reaction to all the people complaining. And you know what? Nobody bought it. Nobody. Nobody. It, it died completely. It's our fault too. We are featureholics. We want the latest and greatest. We derive status from surrounding ourselves with unnecessary power. I, I call it the SUV syndrome. <laughs> you know, why, why do we all need SUVs here in, in affluent Connecticut? You know, it's not because there's going to be a flash flood on the way to the PTA meeting. It's, it's just we like to surround ourselves with, with power we don't need. Has the ability to communicate through artificial intelligence with things like Siri, for example, with, with, with the iPhone, has that made it easier for some people? 
Yeah, it's your ass. I know you write um, about that in, in Pogue's Basics, a couple of things. Yeah, I, there, there are a number of ways that, that the voice stuff lets you cut through the complexity. I mean, a classic example, um, you know, on the iPhone is, is if you want to adjust something, you don't need to know where the Bluetooth settings are or how to get there. You just say, turn off Bluetooth. And if you, need, you want to make the screen brighter, you just say, turn the, make the screen brighter. You don't, you don't have to know where to find it anymore. Any of those settings, you can just say, open Wi-Fi settings, and, and up they'll pop without the navigation element. So that, that, I think, is the technology industry's response to the growing complexity. They're adding a new feature right. <laughs> to help you deal with the other ones. Is there any other response that you see? Are they doing anything else to... to mitigate this in some way? Sometimes they will rejigger the design of their software and call that a new feature and sell that to you. That's, mm. that's hilarious to me. Every time, every time uh, Google or Microsoft or Apple comes up with something new and, and say, upgrade to this version because we've simplified it. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, you're the guys who made it complicated in the first place. <laughs> The other part of it is that because of competition, because of so many other aspects of this, which are obvious to people, that there is no universality of of learning, that, you know, you can learn a set of features on uh, the iPhone, for example, if we stay on phones. It's an entirely different set of features on on a different phone. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, there there is one happy trend, which is that all of the big operating system makers, Google and Google, Microsoft and Apple, are all at least trying to make their operating systems alike unto themselves. So the Mac and the iPhone and the iPad are all working increasingly alike. And of course, Microsoft has launched this really ambitious effort to have a single right. operating system, Windows 10, across everything made by Microsoft. You know, your computer, your tablet, and your phone. You know, the problem is that nobody buys Microsoft's phone. Right. <laughs> so, but that's essential really but isn't that essentially off, but, what, what Apple's been doing for years? That that, yeah. that it is cross platform and that there's a, a, a con- interconnection between all the platforms. That's right. That's exactly right. So there is at least that, you know, within the ecosystem, you don't have to relearn things. And and isn't that the goal from a marketing point of view to keep people tethered to that ecosystem that if you're part of it you know, if you have a whole collection of, of Apple products or of Microsoft products, you're less tempted to go out and buy a product that's outside of that ecosystem. Precisely right. It's the velvet handcuffs. You know, you, they want to keep you within the ecosystem, and they're going to make it more and more and more attractive for you to do that. As we move towards the Internet of Everything, as, as people call it, where everything from the thermostat in our house to, to all sorts of things, are can, our security system, are all connected to this. Talk about that added level of complexity and what you're seeing. Yeah, it's, um, it's fascinating to watch this. I feel like we're still in the Model T era of, the, of this Internet of Things thing. Um, there, is, there are huge security problems, and, and I think the, the real issue is that there is no standard. You know, there's no Phillips screwdriver design that all of these things speak to. You can, you can control your thermostat, but you'll need an app for that. Right. And then you can con- control your door locks, but you need a separate app for that. And then you can control your lights from your phone, and you need a third app for that. So last, this past year has been the year of consolidation where different people, different companies tried to create standards 
so that you could use one app to control all these different devices. But of course the joke is there are 40 companies doing that. So now there are dozens and dozens of different, quote, universal standards for these different, you know, networkable devices. So it's, it's still kind of a mess, and it's, it's going to be shaking down a lot in the next few years, I have a feeling. Talk about some of the things that you try to focus in on in Pogue's Basics, some of the, the fundamental, essential tips, as you call them, that you really try to give people. Well, I mean, the whole thing is, again, my premise is that nobody feels like he or she is the master mm-hmm. of the device. There's just too much, and everybody goes around with this nagging anxiety that they're, they're missing out. Um, so my attempt is to say, look, here are the 2% of the features that you actually need to know that you are probably missing. So I, I, I'm this guy who goes through life correcting people, <laughs> like total strangers. <laughs> you know, why are you doing it the long way? Um, so, you know, just some simple examples are when you're on a web page to scroll down to con- keep reading your article, just hit the space bar. You don't need to use the mouse. You don't need to use the scroll bar. Just hit the space bar to go down. And if you add the shift key, you scroll back up. It works on every computer um, and, and every web browser, and it, it saves a lot of time and, and fuss. Or, or another one is if, you're, if your phone is ringing, your smartphone is ringing at a bad time, like in public or in a movie or in church, don't be that guy who fumbles through your pockets, finds the phone, turns it on, wakes it up, you know, finds the switch. <laughs> All you do is reach into your pocket or your purse wrap your fingers around the phone and squeeze it. And the reason that works is because any button on the edge of your smartphone will turn off the ringing. Any button, doesn't matter. So as long as you hit some button with a quick squeeze, you silence the ringing really fast. So there's, there's all these things that, that are important but just aren't communicated to you. Why is that? Why is there such ignorance of some of, and some of these are pretty basic things i mean the, the example you just mentioned i mean who hasn't had that experience but you know you're not going to find it in any manual anywhere missing or otherwise well they, yeah i mean they don't give you a manual right right i mean some some engineer knows that some engineer wrote that but where were they supposed to communicate it to you um there are you know these long buried online manuals for these different phones and operating systems but Nobody knows they're there, let alone reads them. So it becomes this thing of, of just osmosis. We're supposed to just pick up these lessons by watching other people, or we go through our lives and we never know them. Watching other people is, is a big part of it, and I guess that's the way uh, social media gets used is as an instruction manual. Yeah, that is so true. Um, in, in my other life, as, as you mentioned, I, I write computer books, how-to right. books, right. and that that world is contracting dramatically. A number of the computer book presses have actually gone out of business. The publishers have just shut down. Um, and the, the shelves of the, of the Barnes & Noble where, where computer books are housed are getting smaller and smaller. People, I mean, the people who read books are older mm-hmm. and they're, they're aging out. So younger people, when they need to know something, they'll Google it or they'll YouTube it. And generally they're successful. Yeah. Talk about the YouTubing, because that is what young people, at least in my experience, seem to do. If they need to know how to work something, need to figure something out that they really can't, they just find a YouTube video that explains it. It's amazing. I mean, I do it. There's, there's so much good information there. 
And the people that are putting that information up are not necessarily professionals. They're not uh, the David Pogues of the world. Sometimes they're just, you know, hackers out there. Yeah, it's true. Just just some guy, and, and they have a, a range of accents and, and a range of video quality. But if you're patient and you're re- willing to fumble through two of them that don't give you the answer, you usually do find the answer. Right. And sometimes they also include the worst music in the world. You have to listen while you're trying to watch something. Yeah, that much I, I don't know if you've you. noticed Pope's that trend. Basics does not have music. <laughs> Talk a little bit about where you see some of this stuff going. I mean, if we were having this conversation three, four years from now, where where are the new problem areas going to be? I mean, what do you see evolving right now? Well, um, as you say, it's it's the Internet of Things is the next thing. And, and th- I mean, to be sure, a lot of these things are wishful thinking by the tech industry, and it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean we're going to embrace it. I mean, there's so many examples of areas that the tech industry thought was going to take the world by storm, but didn't. You know, 3D TV was supposed to be the big thing. We were all supposed to be watching TV with glasses on at this point. Um, now they're pushing curved TVs and uh, ultra-high-definition TVs on which there is absolutely no programming to watch. Um, it's, you know, it's not clear that we want this stuff. Um, so it's, it's hard to say what, what it is that we'll actually embrace. Um, but you can certainly see what things they're pushing on us. And right now, uh, the two huge areas are, you know, making everyday devices, doorknobs, lampshades, uh, door, uh, doorbells, uh, thermostats, making those all networkable and accessible from our phone. And the one that I'm really excited about that does seem to be taking off is fitness monitoring. Right. And I don't, just, I just don't just mean Fitbits. I don't just mean counting your steps. I mean, your heart rate, your perspiration, your skin temperature, Microsoft's band tracks how much ultraviolet light you're getting, so it warns you when you're going to get a sunburn. Um, Google has one that monitors your exposure to ambient light and sound. So they're becoming really interesting scientific instruments that give you a whole new insight into yourself. And, of course, the danger in all of that, I suppose, is that there be, it, there's too much information at a certain point. Yeah, part of the key is writing a great app that simplifies it down into a beautiful, useful graph. And um, I mean, I find that stuff astonishing to to wake up in the morning and see a graph of the depth of my sleep over the night. Um, it's just it's just an amazing insight into a hidden world. It's going to be interesting to see how the medical community really responds to that once all that's out there. Yeah, so far um, the medical community has been frustrated because we, we're, we're going to buy 70 million of these wearable monitors this year, and it's the, you know it's the biggest clinical trial in human history, and we're throwing away the data. Nobody can get at that information that's collected by the things we're wearing on our bodies because of privacy concerns, because each brand has their own standard. So I mean, you could learn vast amounts about us if you could collect all that data and parse it the right way. Um, so it used to be very frustrating. This year, Apple came out with something totally unsung but totally amazing called uh, Research Kit. And it lets uh, medical researchers write apps that ask you for your data. And, and you, you see who's collecting the data and what for, and you can opt in. And then in exchange, they, they can collect you know, motion data, location data, health data from millions of people uh, really fast all over the world. And it's, it's really revolutionizing 
medical research. I mean, they can conduct a study much bigger and much faster than they ever could hmm. before just by harnessing all this information. And, and as you say, it's international as well. So, I mean, it has even broader implications. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I, I met a guy who, uh, who wrote the asthma app, and um, it's called Asthma Health. And, you know, basically, if you have asthma, you opt in and you share with it your data about when you had an attack. And he says that in the old days, if you wanted to do a medical study, it would take you a year to get maybe 100 participants because you have to meet with each one individually. They have to sign the paperwork. You have mm-hmm. to find them. And then he put out this app, and in 72 hours, he had 3,500 participants signed up. It's just astonishing. And is, is that area really growing as an area that's being exploited from a business perspective right now? I mean, the, the devices and the software are certainly growing. I mean, it is, it is one of those rare situations where the industry and the consumers are both interested in the same thing. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we love these devices, and they're just getting better and better. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, business is obviously super interested. Insurance companies are super interested. Right. You know, there, there are some businesses that say, if you'll wear one of these fitness trackers, um, we will lower your insurance rates. Um, and some people say, well, wait, that's scary. That's Big Brother watching me. But the insurance companies say, well, wait a minute. It's no different from charging higher rates to bad drivers or charging higher insurance rates to smokers. What's the difference? Well, I mean, right, and it relates to this whole business now with insurance, even looking at the model of pay-as-you-drive. Right, You know, people drive more have, you know, higher actuarial rates of an accident, and they'll pay more. That's right. And and I just think, I mean, the— this, this is a real need, I think, insight into the workings of our bodies. You know, we're not a healthy culture, and part of it is we're shooting blind. People say, oh, move more, eat fewer calories. Well, that's great, but you don't know. You don't know how many calories in are, you're, you're eating. And um, that the beauty of these devices is that they, they make you aware, they give you a window into yourself for the first time, um, and I just think that the public health implications, the personal health implications are, are gigantic. It used to be if you wanted insight into your body, you got it 10 minutes a year at a doctor's visit. Right. And now all of a sudden you can see stuff every day, all the time. It's interesting. You, you mentioned the big brother concern. How little of that concern there really is, especially among younger people? Uh, there's a huge generational divide. Younger people really don't care. Um, that, that as long as they get something useful in return, some useful service. You know, the classic example is Google Maps. Google Maps is a phenomenally great app, and it shows you the speed of the traffic by color-coding the roads on this map. Hmm. Well, did anyone ever wonder how they do that? They don't have sensors in the roads. How, how would they know the speed of traffic? Well, it turns out that every one of those hundreds of millions of Android phones uh, Google knows where they are and how fast they're moving. Like in your pocket, in your car as you drive, Google is tracking the position of your phone. And it, I mean, it's anonymous. It's harvested and collated and all mashed together. But then from that, they can tell the speed of traffic on every road in America. And older people are like, whoa, I don't want no <laughs> phone tracking me. No way. But young, younger people are like, hey, that's a great use of data. You know, give, give me a free service in exchange for some anonymized data, go for it. So hugely generational. Right. I mean, and apps like Waze and some of the others are doing exactly the same thing. 
Yep, that's right. Waze, which is owned by Google, actually. I want to come back to the book, Pogue's Basics, and some of the other things people can, can glean from this and, and why it's important. Yeah, so it's it's the 200 uh, tech tips that, that I really think you should know that, that people should be aware of. Um, and then I should mention also that um, just that last week, um, I've come out with a sequel to that book, which is very much touches on what we're talking about, called Pogue's Basics Life which expands the very idea to travel and health and clothing and, and shopping and pets and children and a uh, lot broader things and more broader things than, than tech. And it's, it's the same principle, which is that designers put in features, but then it, they don't get communicated. So, you know, about half the, the people do not realize that on the dashboard of your car, there is a little, uh, on the fuel gauge, there's a little picture of a gas pump mm -hmm. with an arrow pointing either to the right or to the left. And that arrow tells you which side of your car your gas tank is on. And so when you're in a rental car pulling into the gas station, you never know which side to pull in on. Uh, but now if you realize that every car has that logo, suddenly you're aware of it. But who tells you that? Right. My favorite thing is that even on some electric car, fully electric cars now, there's a little symbol of, you know, to like open the little latch to, to plug the car in. There's a little symbol of a gas tank or a gas pump. You know, we're still using <laughs> That's hilarious. That's like the save button in a lot of software still looks like a floppy disk. Right, right. <laughs> we just can't get... I mean, wasn't that one of the things that, that Steve Jobs hated for so long, this uh, imitating things from sort of uh, the old way we, we approach stuff? Yeah, that's absolutely right. But yet they work. They, they communicate familiar concepts, even though the technology is long gone. David Pogue. His two books are Pogue's Basics, Essential Tips and Shortcuts for Simplifying the Technology in Your Life and Pogue's Basics Life. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.